Well, hi, and welcome everybody to the Living with Power Hope podcast. My name is Lena Evagera, and I'm so glad you're here. I look forward to being with you every week. I hope you feel the same. If you're new to the podcast, then welcome. And if you've been here before, you know we're in a series called Dear Lena, which is an open-ended series where I'm going to be answering questions about faith, life, culture, and everything in between. And I typically give you biblical truth for everyday life. Uh, except for every once in a while, we're going to throw in some awesome interviews and stories of hope. And so today's one such day. We've uh, had some other people here sprinkled here and there. And I believe that those conversations are, are encouraging and needful in a post-Christian culture. And remember, our aim again is to give you hope as a Christian in a post-Christian world. And so I believe this conversation today on marriage, yes, marriage, I know I'm single, but that is why I need experts on marriage so that we can grow in our understanding of what God's plan for us is in marriage. And so today's guest is somebody we've had before. And this woman is incredible. She has made it her life to study marriage, to, to counsel people who are married and to, um, to, be, to be married in a relationship that has grown over time. And I think the Lord is using her so much in this ministry. I want to introduce to you uh, Dorothy Little Greco and tell you a little bit about her before uh, she comes on. She is a friend of mine. She's a writer, a speaker, and a marriage coach. Uh, she, her first book, which is the one that we talked about here in the past, was published by David C. Cook. It's called Making Marriage Beautiful, was out in 2017. And now, just a few years later, she's just released Marriage in the Middle uh, by IVP. Uh, so that just came out and is going to already be um, helping so many people. I've myself read it and it almost makes me want to get married, uh, Dorothy. <laughs> but truly, I will get to, into all the details in a minute because I think that it's, it's a really great conversation for singles too. Um, you've written everywhere. You are a member of the Redbud Writers Guild. You're sort of that classic, you know, like when I think of those solid Orthodox Christian writers in my mind, you are one of those a top three to five names that comes into my mind. So it's an honor to have you today. You're also a photojournalist. You do that as a job. So you multitask, you're a tent maker, uh, you're married to Christopher, you kayak, you take long walks, and you actually have had some struggles and real trials in your life. Some you've spoken about with your health and, and others, things that you mentioned in the book. So I'm really looking forward to telling people more about you. How are you today? Hi, Lena. I'm really glad to be with you today. And I'm doing um, reasonably well, given all the uh, challenges that are going on around us. Well, I got to be honest. I mean, anyone who's in ministry and, and has a big project coming out, and I think we're recording this right around the time of your book launch. I mean, it's like you just expect that things are going to be rough. And But I was also chuckling because you and I were talking about it before the show. But even as you were getting ready to write this book, you went through sort of a lot. Tell us a little bit about sort of, first of all, why would anybody write one book about marriage, let alone two? I mean, and, and how did you land in sort of this work in marriage? Christopher and I are two incredibly different people. We became friends while we were students at Boston University. We were both in the same college, both part of the same uh, Christian Fellowship Group University. So we developed a friendship and it took, I don't know, five or six years before we had any kind of a romantic relationship. And the mm -hmm. first two years of that romantic relationship were unbelievably difficult. Lots of breakups, lots of um, fights. When we first got engaged, my friends were so concerned about us that they gave us some pretty dire warnings about what we might want to be 
paying attention to or watching out for. That first engagement actually uh, ended in a breakup and we didn't talk to each other for two years. When we got back together, the warnings were even more severe. <laughs> my friends, my friends did not trust Christopher. They thought he was going to do the same thing and it hurt me again. But we had each during the two years that we were apart done a tremendous amount of deep spiritual um, work to sort of understand what some of our broken places were. That meant that when we got married, we came in with a very profound awareness that we're limited people and we're going to hurt each other. That kind of self-awareness helped us, I think, to take real ownership for um, the issues that we had, the limitations that we had. And then that allowed us to really um, walk in a level, level of vulnerability and humility that I think... Um, both gave us a, a, a really solid foundation, but also gave us the inclination to reach out and to help other people who maybe were struggling with those same things. And you ended up doing work in marriage counseling at some point in the process. Was that after you wrote the book on marriage or has this been an interest all along? So Christopher actually has um, an MDiv in pastoral care or family counseling, I guess is what it is. I, I do not have any... Um, graduate degrees in that. But we have together been running long-term healing and discipleship programs, doing premarital classes, doing marital counseling um, for, you know, most of our marriage. So we've been married 29 years and probably for about 25 years of that, we've been working side by side in this sort of pastoral care capacity. When did you realize there's God has called you to write, to make this, if we're writing about a topic and writing a second book about a topic is more than just you know, helping people here and there. I mean, you really feel a calling in this. How did you feel like God had positioned you in that calling or how did that come to fruit to, to light in your life? I'm a pretty determined person. So when I get an idea in my head, I tend to just really go after it. The, the impetus to write has really always been there. So my degree is in photojournalism, which means for the past 35 years now, I've been doing articles and stories I stepped back from that during the years that we were homeschooling our kids and then pivoted to um, the writing that I was doing was connected to talks, to, to, mm -hmm. to sermons, to lesson plans that we would do in these healing and discipleship groups. And then um, there was a time period, and this is that's how I opened the Marriage in the Middle book, talking about um, what happened for us eight years ago, some really difficult things. And we had to leave the church that we had been part of for 15 years. And pulling out of that context of ministry, I felt kind of lost. Like I didn't know exactly what I was supposed to be doing or um, how to be using the gifts that I felt like I had. And I just felt a really strong impulse to just start writing. Mm. So I started with a blog and then felt like I had some clear ideas for potential articles and just reached out to Christianity Today, to Relevant, to a bunch of other you know, online and periodical magazines and um, just, you know, started writing for them. And you settled sort of on more or less at this point on writing about marriage. You felt after the first book that there was, you know, I think everybody has this idealistic idea that you get married and it's happily ever after. Certainly most singles are living under that, <laughs> that mirage at some point, like there's some, you know, golden, you know, bucket of something on the other side of the hill. But, but really the book Marriage in the Middle is sort of begs the question of, hey, what happens 10 or 15? I mean, tell us a little bit more about that book, the book that is just now coming out. It's not for the beginner marriage. So tell me a little bit about why you felt there was a need to write a book about the middle stages of marriage. Well, it's actually for the middle stages of life. 
the, it's for married couples who are between the ages of like 40 and 65. And that might mean a couple who's just gotten married for the first time, right? Because no. people get married at all different stages of life. And sometimes for a remarriage, that would be considered, you know, early on. But it's so I'm focusing on the challenges and the, and the surprises that happen for all of us in the middle life period. And um, you know, our bodies are slowing down. If we're parents, our kids need us in very different ways than when they were younger. And that sort of that shifting can be really difficult to understand, like, how do we release them, but continue to parent them? That can be very conflictual. Our parents tend to pass away during this time frame. Right. There's financial constraints for many of us, particularly if we have kids in college or if we have unexpected medical expenses. So there's a lot of external pressure. And then there's the internal pressure of, you know, moments of reckoning when we step back and say like, oh my gosh, you know, the issues that we had in our first year of marriage are still here 20 to 30 years in. And then how do we respond to that? You know, are we going to respond to the challenges and the surprises and see them as opportunities to grow and to be more kind and more empathetic and more loving? Or are we going to become victims or blame our spouse and dodge Mm -hmm. responsibility and then move us, that moves us in the direction of being bitter and resentful? Well, and you really do. I mean, I, I was telling you before the show, you're such an easy author to read. And it's funny. I'm like that single that I think, oh, marriage book. I'm not, why am I going to read a marriage book? But it, it really, like from the first word of the book, I was sucked in. And it's interesting that you say, you know, I, I guess I assumed when I picked it up that, hey, this is about marriage. But really, I can, I can appreciate what you're saying now because I felt connected in the book because I think what you do in the book is that you're talking about heart issues. I'm in my mid to late 40s. And and so I connected with so many of the struggles that people, particularly in midlife, I think go through as it pertains to anything from temptation, sexuality, idolatry, um, disappointment. Your chapter on disappointment, I thought it was so good. And You know, I just think this is such an important distinction because I think people can count out a book when really you are, you're talking about this transitional season in life. And I I don't know, you know, why, but I thought, you know, you always hear about the midlife crisis and stuff, but midlife has taken me by surprise in some ways with some of the emotional toil that the work that has taken me to sort of come to grips with sort of where I am compared to where I thought things would be and sort of what God is doing in my life. Was that the same for you? I mean, talk about maybe a little bit about your experience with midlife as, you know, even individually and then also in marriage. Yeah, I think that midlife does throw us some mean curveballs. You know, we as women certainly are aware to some extent of perimenopause and menopause, right? We we hear about mm-hmm. that, we read about that, we hear other people joking about it. But until we're in it, because it happens organically for each one of us, none of us can really predict what is it going to be like. So for mm-hmm. me, there's been a tremendous amount of um, insomnia that has happened during midlife. Um, during perimenopause, I had several panic attacks. I've never had panic attacks. Like that's not something that has ever been a part of my life. And the first time it happened, I was in the grocery store in the produce aisle and I all oh, of a sudden wow. thought like, oh my gosh, like I have to run out of the grocery store. Why did that happen? I have no idea why that happened, but these sort of things we can expect during midlife because our hormones are, you know, radically shifting from what we've been used to. So there's that component of it. And then there's also, I think, the the notion that as we face the, the reality that there's more of our life behind us than in front of us, mm-hmm. that's going to naturally cause, I mean, it should naturally cause us to stop and reflect and to say, you know, am I going to leave the kind of legacy behind me that I want? 
Um, have I made mistakes that are irrevocable? Have I forgiven the people I need to forgive? Have I made peace and reconciled? All of those questions kind of come to the surface for us because of the, I think one of the reasons is the abject powerlessness or the feeling of powerlessness that we have in this time frame. Um, and, and that it really does force us to reckon with who we are, where we've been, and where we hope to go. And those kind of things, if we haven't done our spiritual work, can really be upsetting. Well, and as a married woman yourself, so, I mean, so you, I, you, there's that component of it. Now you're walking with someone in life for 10, 20 years, but there's still sort of this awareness. And you kind of read through a lot of, you use a lot of stories in the book. Each chapter has a story of a couple, and then you interview them at the end, which I think is really powerful too, because you kind of get real life people to tell you their, their struggles, which is always encouraging and sort of, and really their victories. And, but like, it's just never ceases to amaze me. Like, I think again, there's this, there's this Hollywood version in our minds of marriage. Like somehow if you make it past 10 years, you're going to be okay, but you sort of wake up and there's still things to learn about the person you're, you're married to. Like did that, has that taken you by surprise? Sort of the amount of work it still takes to make a marriage healthy in midlife? On some days, yes. <laughs> some <laughs> days it feels like, wow, you know, that we're doing really well. We're understanding each other. We're supporting each other. We're loving each other well. And praise God for those days. And then there's other days, Lena, where it does feel like, who am I married to and how have we endured for all of these years? Because the little things can just become like burrs um, you know, under our socks and, and continue to irritate us. Some of those things are completely inconsequential. You know, Christopher has this habit of chewing with his mouth open, which drives me crazy. And it has always driven me crazy. And there are, you know, moments when I just think, whatever, you know, it's just how he enjoys eating. And then there are other moments when I just like want to shake him and say, would you please stop it? Because it bothers me so much. We all and come have... on. Hasn't he figured it out right now? Right. <laughs> like, why would it be so hard to put your lips together when you chew? Right. It's not a big deal. I'm not asking you to go run a marathon. Well, in his defense, I was stressed when he tells the story about like, he's used to big families and a lot of food in case someone shows up. And I'm like, like, why isn't she making more food for the right. guy? <laughs> right. I mean, we this all have real. these patterns of behavior that we just get stuck in. Um, right. It can be really difficult for us to extricate ourselves from those patterns in order to love our spouse or on the other side, to extend grace and mercy to our spouse when for whatever reason, they just can't seem to change. And some of the, the changes are small, like chewing with your mouth closed. And some of the changes are enormous. Um, one of the things that Christopher and I have been talking about is I feel like I have a felt need for more empathy from him in this season. And that's not the easiest thing for him to give. He's great at giving it as a teacher and as a counselor. And maybe it's just that by the time he gets home at six o'clock, you know, his empathy quotient is gone. Um, but so, you know, we've been talking about that, like, what would it mean for you to, to extend more of that to me? And how can I be honest without being controlling and asking you for that um, in an open handed way? If you're in a marriage with somebody who's not willing to do the work, but you are, what's how, like, is there hope for that person to come to a certain point of peace despite being sort of a one-sided marriage? You know what I mean? I do. And I would say that that's probably one of the most difficult situations to be in. Like it's one thing to, to have a spouse who, you know, doesn't like your movie choices or, um, 
doesn't want to go to the same place you do for vacation. But if if you are on a trajectory of moving and growing and changing and, you know, particularly maybe becoming more like Jesus and your spouse is complacent or even resistant to that kind of change, I think that that's incredibly difficult because the amount of work that the person who is changing will then have to do um, can be profoundly difficult and and quite frankly, exhausting. And yet I have seen spouses do it and I've seen their love over the years um, help to transform their spouse into the kind of person that um, they hope they would become. Yeah, I mean, marriage is, is a picture of, of, of the gospel, right? I mean, we hear that a lot. Like your, your marriage, marriage between a man and a woman is like the picture of Christ's relationship with the church. And I mean, it's funny, the longer I am in church and, and the longer I'm a Christian, like in some ways, again, we have this notion that things are just going to get easier. But I find like the wrestling with the faith, my questions to God, my relationship, I mean, it's so dynamic. Yes. And I, what do you think? Why do you think God made it so challenging? Like, why didn't he just give it, give us a way that's easy? We really like easy, don't we? <laughs> I think, I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, Staples had that little red button that we could push that just said easy and it didn't do right, anything. Right. But somehow by pushing it, it's supposed to make us feel better. Um, I think that it's human nature to be a little bit complacent and lazy. That's, you know, maybe I could say that's our sin nature, but mm. I think that the way the Lord created us is to be dynamic and to grow and to keep growing until the time that he calls us home. That's my sense of what he wants for us. And, and though it remains difficult, and sometimes the trials actually increase when we age, I, what I'm seeing is that if we continue to develop the disciplines, if we continue to, to grow and to learn how to love and to learn how to trust the Lord, and maybe that's one of the biggest challenges for mm. all of us, that then um, we're able to respond better in the midst of the trials. Like we don't get so flustered. Um, we're not so shaken you know, the foundations under us don't feel like they're falling apart because we're standing on something that's that's solid and that's immovable. You know, le- recently in the news, there was a couple who's been married a long time that seemed to, for all intents and purposes, have a very good marriage. And a famous Christian couple, I'm sure a lot of people have already in their minds figured out who I mean. But the, but their, their divorce came as a big shock and disappointment to people and even to the person, to the couple themselves. You could tell this came suddenly mm-hmm. how, how do people prevent how can people or is it possible to prevent against surprises in marriage of this dramatic nature well i mean this might seem very simplistic but i would say i think it was eugene peterson who talked about if we love if we t- if we follow the first commandment and the last commandment that everything else in between will be taken care of meaning that if we love the lord our god with all our heart all our mind and all our soul and if we love our neighbor as ourselves and our spouse is our most enduring neighbor to me that's the best divorce proof strategy that i can think of so if we are able to love the lord our god with all our heart all our soul all our mind all our body and love our spouse um deeply and profoundly make the kind of sacrificial choices to love on a daily basis. I think that that is divorce proofing because there's something about really giving ourselves over and saying that there's nothing more important than loving God and loving my spouse first and foremost, above all other people um, that keeps us focused and centered on loving each other well and loving each other well has many levels, right? It means, um, Today, you know, one of the we have a 
a division of labors in the house. And in this season, my husband is a teacher. And, um, you know, for all teachers in this season, it is just overwhelming the amount of protocols and rules that they have to follow in order to teach. So he has not done the dishes probably for a week. And normally I just wait him out. You know, I just think mm. it's not my job. You're going to do it. And today when I went in the kitchen and I saw this huge pile of dishes and I first rolled my eyes and thought, I can't believe he hasn't done the dishes. And then I just felt like the Holy Spirit say, you know what, Dorothy, he is in a really difficult season right now. What would it take for you to, instead of going for your long walk at lunch break, if you do the dishes? Mm. And I thought, yeah, I can do that. And I can do it, you know, and, and then in the midst of doing it, if rather than you know, entertaining these negative thoughts about him or being critical of him, I can actually pray for him and pray that the Lord resources him and pray that the Lord gives him the sleep that he needs. I'm going to be in a much better place when he walks through the door at six o'clock. You know, there's not going to be this like animosity and this resentment and the dishes will be clean. So I think those kind of moments, all of us have to just ask ourselves, and that's not just a married thing, right? If you have a housemate or if you're helping to care for an elderly parent, we have to be asking ourselves those kind of questions and being willing to lay down our lives for each other in, in little and in big ways all the time. Do you think, um, by the way, when you talk about that, I mean, to me, the first thing that comes to my mind, I mean, is it's so humbling. Yes. I mean, there's a, there's a part of marriage. I mean, I again, again, I think it's the Christian walk, but you see it so glaringly in marriage where you just have to like swallow your pride and humble yourself. And I think that's hard, but that's dying to self. Right. And, and I think singles, like sometimes we get off, I'm going to live alone. You know, I was go to family vacation, you know, holidays or whatever the times when people get together and. Sometimes by the end, I'm like, I can't wait to go back to my <laughs> abode where I don't have to, you know, but it's really, I mean, it's, it, that is, I think what people mean when they talk about it being sanctifying. And I think, I think that's like, it's, it's, it's a way of being that has become unpopular because so much therapy and, you know, not like, like public therapy, what, what do you call like, um, you know, internet therapy. Yeah. I mean, all, all this stuff is like about pleasing yourself and, right. and, and being comfortable and, and make you happy. And so you, we're constantly looking for others to make us happy. And I find myself caught in that way of thinking, even in the context of ministry. And I think, I think it's the opposite of what Jesus teaches. And I think in marriage, you just have such a front seat to that. Um, what has been the most common, like when you've done work with couples and people, like what's the most common reason people come for help in? In terms of their marriage, what they say or what? Yeah, what, what the real, what, what well, the that's, real that's, reason that's is. That's really good. Both. Tell us, you know, both. What do you find to be the most common stated problem, and then what's truly underneath it? I think that the most commonly stated stated problem is he or she is not meeting my needs, and we're really struggling with how to have good conflict. Those are the presenting issues that people often come to us with. But I, what Christopher and I were just talking about this recently, and I said, could we actually boil it down to the, the reason that people are having trouble in their marriages is they don't really forgive each other and they don't really understand what it means to love sacrificially. Like, is that really Good. how we can boil it down? And I think that that's true. And this, you know, the whole notion of getting our needs met is, is tough, right? Because the hope is that in the context of a marriage, in the context of this kind of covenanted relationship, that we love each other so much and we're, we're um, prioritizing meeting our spouse's needs. But the reality is sometimes we have needs that our spouse can't meet. And, and then what do we do with that? Like, how do we deal with the fact that we have an unmet need? 
And many times in our culture today, what people would say is if your needs aren't being met, then leave the marriage. Yeah. I don't think that I agree with that. I think that there are obviously some some components of marriage that we can't get met anywhere else, right? So if we have sexual needs, we have a friend who a couple years ago, their spouse had a stroke. So they have not been able to be intimate for multiple years now, and maybe they won't ever be able to in the future. Does that mean she should leave him? Hmm. I don't think so. And the fact that she's choosing to stay and choosing to love him and serve him um, despite the fact that you know some of her needs might not be getting met now, to me is a beautiful example of of what it means to love well and to serve our spouse as Christ serves the church. Well, and I mean, one could make a good biblical argument against people leaving just because their needs aren't met, right? I mean, exactly. All thoughts aside, but I mean, our personal opinions aside, I mean, I think this is, but this is tough because it's it become even. I mean, the divorce notion has become very mainstream that it's like you don't often think about that you just think well you know how can i like this example you use like well this person isn't who i thought they were going to turn out to be like now they're handicapped well now my needs aren't that now so there's so much you know brokenness that comes into the conversation that takes out this equation of the equation of what god wants it's so interesting but but it's like your whole life so i'm not you know i know it's hard i'm not saying it's easy but but jesus never said it would be easy all of not just marriage but life in him so as we talk about needs and whether or not not getting our needs met is um, enough of a reason to divorce, I, I do just want to add in here that there are definitely biblical reasons for people to be separated or divorced, such as if there's physical or mental um, abuse that's happening. I wouldn't want anybody to, to hear what I just said and then to take that to the extreme um, so that if you, if not only if your needs were not getting met, but if you were being physically or emotionally abused by a partner, that I'm by no means communicating to you that um, you should suck it up and stay. So I just want to clarify that for anybody out there who might be listening and think like, oh, what Dorothy is saying is that it doesn't matter that my needs aren't being met. I need to just stick it out. Um, if if there is abuse happening my counsel to people is to get help and to get help as quickly as you can find somebody who will listen to you if you're actually in danger you or your kids are in danger then um, seek out help so that you can extricate yourself from that situation and and not be harmed any longer now on a completely side note building on that i guess you talk a lot about sex in the book <laughs> I, mean, well, I didn't talk about it at all in the first book, so I guess I had to make up for the fact. And, and actually, I, if you're if you're single and you're listening, I, I actually really commend this book to singles. I gotta be honest for those two. But if nothing, I thought the disappointment chapter is great for singles, first of all. And I thought uh, the sex chapters are, I mean, especially the first one. You talk a lot about the purity culture and its effect on marriage, but I think it's really worth thinking through in singleness as well, because I think you bring up a lot of. Uh, issues of how Christian singles uh, meet their needs. And you talk a lot about pornography and masturbation and how that plays into relationships. So if you're single looking to be married, I think it's critical to think through your, the ways. So, in fact, what, just tell me a little bit behind your, why, you're, why you did that. Because I think it was very intentional of you to go there in this book. Yeah, I think that for, for many of us, again, you know, and it, that I think we can trace that back to needs and our culture's um, belief and, and really, you know, we believe this perhaps more than we believe anything else is that we have the right to what we want and we have the right to personal satisfaction and personal fulfillment. So, 
in a marriage where one say that there's a, an inequality sexually where, you know, one spouse wants to be sexually active on a, on a more regular basis than the other, where does that spouse go in between? You know, if, if say the man wants to have sex every day and the wife is in a season where that's just like not going to happen, you know, if she's pregnant, if she's tired, um, it takes a lot of energy for a woman to have sex. It's not like it is for men where they can turn it on and turn it off and be done in 10 minutes. Like that's not how it works for us. So I think for Christopher and I, we decided early on that um, there would be no masturbation, that we would wait for each other. What that means is that sometimes, you know, it'll go, it'll be a week or two and we will not have had sex, but the other person is remaining sort of chaste in body and mind so that when we do come back together, the desire, like we're, we're saving our needs for each other. We're saving our bodies for each other because we're taking the, you know, the passages mm. of scripture seriously about, you know, my body is now my husband's and his body is now mine. So that kind of stewarding our sexuality for each other, I think has, has allowed us to have a much richer and deeper sexual intimate life um, then, then some people even realize it's possible. You also gave advice. I think you, even though this is marriage in the middle, I think that I've personally met and talked to a lot of young married couples who I think you address in your first chapter on, on the sex chapters. And you really talk a lot about sort of what you bring to the table when you first get married, especially if you're out of a very conservative, you know, purity background where, you know, and I, I think I thought your chapter can be extremely helpful to young married couples who might not think to get this book, but maybe you're listening on this podcast. I'm telling you, I really think that this book is not just for middle, I mean, I'm, I'm pitching this book, not just for middle-aged people, because I just felt like there was a lot of information in it that could be so useful. I remember one couple I met once um, that was a friend of a friend, and they had they were both like very good looking very um, popular, very, you know, they, could, they were like a quintessential Christian couple and they were married and like, you know, like you don't want to be like sort of, you know, but you, in your mind you thought, oh, they must be having crazy sex together. Right. I mean, cause it was like, like you just couldn't, you just assumed it. Yeah. And I found out later, like the entire first year of marriage, like they couldn't, like it was, it was a big obstacle in their life. And like, imagine the shame of that and, right. and the stress of that. And so, and it had to do a lot, again, with what you bring to the table. And I felt like your chapter breaks things down so well biblically and kind of gets to some of the heart issues there. And so I, I commend it to people who may be listening now and, and, and really feel like they need help in this area. I, I thought you did a fabulous job of that. Thank it's you. Very above, you know, just very, very well done. Um, what do you hope people who read this book, like what's your goal for the person who reads this book? I think that my, honestly, my prayer almost every day when I sat down to write was that this book would be a conduit of hope. I think that in midlife and maybe particularly all of us in this season, I mean, this has been just such a hard seven months or eight months by the time this airs between the pandemic and the, the racial unrest and the political, um, just, it's a mess. Like our country is a mess. Um, and I think that we really need hope. Then drilling down a little bit more specifically, I think that there's a way that there could be sort of a malaise that happens in midlife marriage when we're just sort of in a, in a routine and we do things a certain way and we don't realize that there's more that's possible for us, that we can walk in a greater sense of um, healing and joy. So my hope is that as folks read this, they'll feel the sense of encouragement like, hey, 
we can actually do this. Like we can move our marriage into a place of greater intimacy. We can move our marriage into a place of um, greater mission where we mm. have a sense of how do we serve the people around us. So I'm, I'm hoping that people will really feel um, excited about the possibilities for their marriages. Do you think COVID has helped people want to be married? Like, are, I don't know the actual statistics now, but are people more dating or more divorcing? Like, what, where's the trend more? Do you know that with COVID? Like, has it been more stressful marriages or more enticing for singles to get married? Well, I think that we don't have a lot of data to go on for that. But I do know that um, I think that there was a study done in Japan after the tsunami hit where I don't even remember how many years ago that was. I want to say five or six years. And I think that the divorce rate uh, went up during that, you know, in that period afterwards. What happens, I think, is that when we're in a situation like this where um, there's no escaping from the things that are difficult, you know, particularly maybe the first two months when mo many of us were literally stuck inside of our houses 24-7. So the, the, the fact that normally, you know, maybe one or both, even both spouses will go out and be, will be away from each other for 10 hours a day. Right. And then that gives us a little bit of a break so that we can recharge and come back together. In this season, there is no break. You know, it's 24-7. Um, and I know that this, that the statistics show that there's been a, been a steep rise of um, domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. So it's clear that there's like a, just an added pressure uh, that I think we're all in. And, and time will tell whether or not there's going to be more divorces or whether people will say like, wow, you know, this has exposed some um, fault lines in our marriage that we really have to address. Right. What, what is the best as we wrap into the close, best marriage advice you would give to somebody who's single, who kind of might be like, dude, two books on marriage. I'm not sure I ever want to do this. Convince me. What, what's the best part about being married? About being married? The companionship, the covenanted companionship, the knowing that um, no matter how I mess up, no matter how I hurt Christopher, he is going to forgive me and he's going to continue to love me. There is something about that kind of love that does help us understand God's love for us in a, in a small way, obviously, because, you know, we can never love as perfectly as God does. But that sort of deep connectedness and deep history that we have together is just so freeing. It's just I can't even just, you know, accurately describe what it means to be able to be with somebody who I know loves me and still, mm. you know, knows all of my faults, all of my shortcomings, all of my limitations and still chooses to stay. It's That's really, good. It's very beautiful. That's good. It's worth fighting for. That's it for is. sure. It is. Yeah. Well, if you need help fighting for your marriage, I'm telling you guys, you got to get this book. We we'll give you the, the, um, uh, 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 places to connect with Dorothy in a second. Are you planning a third marriage book, Dorothy? What's your plan for the future? <laughs> <laughs> I hope that I can go on to write something else, honestly, because I don't know. I don't have any more stories. <laughs> uh, you, you brought them. You, you had a lot of them here. And I think that everybody's going to enjoy reading them. I thought you, I just think it's a great book. I really, uh, I, I, I get a lot of books, but very few read as easily as yours did. And I just think, uh, again, if you're looking for an easy a profound but easy to read marriage, marriage book. You need to get this. And singles, I already gave you guys a shout out. So you need to do that. So let's give out a couple of copies of those. Email me at, uh, why don't we keep stick to the email that I used, dearlina at livingwithpower.org. And I'll give out uh, two books of uh, marriage in the middle. And then how can people connect with you? Give us all of your 
information? Yeah, the best way to connect with me is just to go to my website, which is Dorothy Greco with one C um, dot com. And all of my social media handles are there. There's a contact me page. So that's probably the best way for people to find me. And then the book is available on Amazon or um, many um, brick and mortar stores as well. That's right. Make, uh, Marriage in the Middle, the title. And you guys, it's Dorothy Greco, G-R-E-C-O dot com. Hey, guys, thank you for being on with us. I love talking about relationships, and I, I love answering your questions. So next week, we'll be back to Dear Lena, and we've got another great question coming. In the meantime, uh, remember a couple of things. Subscribe to the podcast. Join me on Thursday nights. I teach live on a Facebook community group. You need to sign up. All you need to do is go to livingwithpower.org. Click on the blue box that says join our community. Uh, What else do I have for you today? We're going to pray for you and we're going to love on you. So if you have any uh, questions, any comments, uh, feel free to send them to me. Dear Lena at livingwithpower.org. And hey, why don't you share this with your friends? We'd love it if you do. And I'll see you again next week. 